Welcome to House of David Ministries. I'm Pastor Eric Michael Teitelman. Join me as we learn about the rich heritage of our Christian faith. In each episode, we explore a unique topic that will deepen your knowledge of Christ and who we are as His people. In this episode, we will explore events taking place in the world and try to determine whether we just might be living at the end of the age before the return of Christ. Are we seeing the end of the age, the days right before the tribulation and the return of Christ? Well, quite possibly. Now, previous generations thought they were also living at the end. They would say things like, look at all these wars and horrific events taking place. Certainly the end is upon us. And when Jesus did not return as expected, scoffers would rise to criticize the church. So what has changed in this generation that is much different than previous ones? We will find out. The Lord has given us several crucial signs from Scripture, the first being the rebirth of Israel in 1948. Israel's rebirth is arguably the most significant fulfillment of biblical prophecy since the resurrection of Christ. Yeshua said in Matthew 24, Now learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and put forth leaves, you know that summer is near. The fig tree is an apparent reference to Israel, most notably its spiritual leaders. Now, I don't mean to oversimplify the Bible, but its context is much easier to understand than most people might realize. And it can be summarized in two major themes. First, all Scripture points to Christ and His atoning work for Israel and all humanity. And second, all Scripture revolves around God's relationship with the nation of Israel, including the relationship of the Gentile nations with the Jewish people. As my father would jokingly say, so what will this do for the Jew? Well, and his humor did convey a degree of truth. The second and highly significant sign given in Scripture is that the world will unite as one people against the God of Israel. And there are numerous global initiatives already in motion. Some are spiritual, others political or social, but the most compelling are financial. All these global initiatives are forming a complex, interconnected web of radical changes that would take volumes to describe. So I'm only going to share a few brief highlights, beginning with some spiritual ones. In February 2019, Pope Francis and Ahmed El Tayeb, the Grand Imam of Egypt's El Azhar, signed a historic declaration of peace. They call for all people to rediscover and spread the values of peace, justice, goodness, beauty, human fraternity, and coexistence. This spiritual alliance is an unprecedented unification of two of the world's largest religions, influencing nearly 3 billion Catholics and Sunni Muslims. While their signed document does not explicitly call for a one-world religion, it does highlight the pluralism of all religions, including the diversity of colors, sexes, races, and languages, as being willed by God in His wisdom. This declaration that all religions are willed, and therefore ordained by God, strongly infers 
that all religions are equal? Well, not so, because we know and believe that Christ is the only way to heaven. He is the only truth in this world and the only life available to all humanity. Another substantial global initiative was launched by the United Nations in 1992, initially called Agenda 21. It has now been updated to Agenda 2030 and is titled Transforming Our World, the 2030 Agenda for Sustainable Development. It promotes 17 Sustainable Development Goals, SDGs, covering everything from climate action to gender equality. These goals present a call to action by all countries to partner together. In other words, to unite and to achieve global peace and prosperity for all people and the planet. The most aggressive and broad-sweeping global initiatives are being driven by the World Economic Forum. This organization has developed a strategic intelligence database to organize hundreds of topics describing complex forces driving transformational changes across global economies and industries. The driving force behind these changes is the COVID Action Platform, established by the Forum to demand and galvanize the international cooperation of governments, organizations, and businesses. The Forum, along with many influential global leaders, believe the pandemic has created ripe conditions for the launching of what is called the Great Reset. A microsite hosted by the forum states, There is an urgent need for global stakeholders to cooperate, to unite, in simultaneously managing the direct consequences of the COVID-19 crisis. The changes already seen in response to COVID-19 prove that a reset of our economic and social foundations is possible. Thus, to improve the state of the world, the World Economic Forum is starting the Great Reset Initiative. Their website goes on to say, The COVID-19 crisis and the political, economic, and social disruptions it has caused is fundamentally changing the traditional context for decision-making. As we enter a unique window of opportunity to shape the recovery, this initiative will offer insights to help inform all those determining the future state of global relations, the direction of national economies, the priorities of societies, the nature of business models, and the management of global commons. Drawing from the vision and vast experience of the leaders engaged across the forum communities, the Great Reset Initiative has a set of dimensions to build a new social contract that honors the dignity of every human being. Again, these are just a few examples, and there is much more to come as the world further unites against the God of Israel. Sadly, joining against the God of Israel also means coming against the people of Israel as well. But we need to remember that this uniting is the Lord's doing. As we read in Revelation 17, it says, For God has put it into their hearts to fulfill His purpose, to be of one mind and to give their kingdom to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. The nations have long been judged for mistreating Israel, both God's land and his people. The Lord declared in Joel 3, I will also gather all nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat, and I will enter into judgment with them there on account of my people, my heritage, Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations 
they have also divided up my land. And Yeshua said in Matthew 25, All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did this to one of the least of my brethren, you did it to me. The least of Christ's brethren is a direct reference to the Jewish people. We read in Deuteronomy 7, The Lord did not set his love on you, nor choose you, because you were more in number than any other people, for you were the least of all peoples. In these last days, we will see the nations further uniting against Israel. But a more disturbing fact is the number of Christian denominations that have adopted anti-Zionist and therefore anti-Israel and even anti-Semitic positions, most of whom hold to liberal or supersessionist theology, what is called replacement theology. And sadly, this list includes Catholic, Greek Orthodox, Episcopal, Baptist, Reformed, Evangelical, Presbyterian, United Methodist, and many more. And equally disturbing is the growing influence of left-wing Jewish organizations. For example, B'Tselem, Jewish Voice for Peace, J Street, and If Not Now, have also adopted anti-Zionist positions that oppose Israeli occupation of the West Bank and support, in futility, a two-state solution. On the political spectrum are numerous Muslim organizations such as the Council of American-Islamic Relations, the Holy Land Foundation, and the U.S. Muslim Brotherhood that all oppose Israel. And additionally, there are non-Muslim groups such as Code Pink, Interfaith Peace Builders, and Black Lives Matter, which have adopted the same anti-Zionist position supporting the boycott, divestment, and sanctions movement, BDS, against Israel. For example, BLM falsely claims that Israel is a colonial imperialist country, like England and the United States, that has created a racist apartheid separation between Jews and Arabs. They've even called for the complete liberation of Palestine, not just a two-state solution. Melina Abdullah, the co-founder of the Los Angeles chapter of BLM, recently said, We understand that the liberation of black people in the United States is tied to the liberation of black people all over the world and tied to the liberation of oppressed people all over the world. Being in solidarity with the Palestinian people is something that's been part of our work as Black Lives Matter for almost as long as we've been an organization. The irony of their argument is that the Jews and Arabs are ethnically related. Both are Semitic, and of course, there are also Ethiopian and other dark-skinned Jews living in Israel that have been subjected to the same hostilities and violence levied by Hamas and Islamic Jihad that are two of Iran's militant proxies. What is common to all these organizations is their lack of discernment about the origins of this seemingly endless spiritual conflict surrounding Israel and the Jewish people. And at the epicenter of this intense battle is the heart of God's kingdom, Judea and Samaria, and his holy city, Jerusalem, and the Temple Mount itself. The Lord declared in Zechariah 12, And it shall happen in that day that I will make Jerusalem a very heavy stone for all peoples. All who would heave it away will surely be cut in pieces, 
though all nations of the earth are gathered against it. This period of the nation's rebellion is called the times of the Gentiles. In Luke 21, it says, And Jerusalem will be trampled by Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Notice that times is plural, suggesting seasons of rebellion leading up to the end of the age. Now, some have compared the times of the Gentiles to the fullness of the Gentiles. They have equated these expressions as part of the same dispensation in which a predestined number of Gentiles receive Christ and are saved. But that interpretation seems to contradict another sign of the end, the falling away. Paul said in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day, the day of the Lord, will not come unless the falling away comes first, and the man of sin, the Antichrist, is revealed, the son of perdition. Notice the falling away starts before the revealing of the Antichrist and continues through the seven-year tribulation up to the return of Christ, the day of the Lord. Yeshua said in Matthew 24, And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all these things, these judgments, must come to pass, but the end is not yet. Paul's use of the term fullness of the Gentiles is correlated with Israel's final deliverance, which comes at the end of the tribulation when Christ saves the Jewish people from the Gentiles that have trampled Jerusalem. The prophet Ezekiel makes a similar reference to this dark period in chapter 30, saying, For the day is near, even the day of the Lord is near. It will be a day of clouds, the time of the Gentiles. In conclusion, the fullness of the Gentiles and the times of the Gentiles are the same dispensation. These culminate in a global rebellion of the nations against the God of Israel and his people. This rebellion coincides with a time of God's increasing judgments in the world and a great falling away of those Jews and Gentiles who have rejected Christ. God's judgments can be scripturally correlated with what are called birth pangs. For example, we read in Jeremiah 49, Behold, he shall come up and fly like an eagle and spread his wings over Bozrah. The heart of the mighty men of Edom in that day shall be like the heart of a woman in birth pangs. Paul used the same analogy comparing the birth pangs of God's kingdom to a woman in labor. He said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. In Romans 8, he says, For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. The kingdom of God is Israel, with its capital in Jerusalem. And it includes the Gentile nations that have been grafted into her. Paul understood that Israel's salvation required his suffering, as he said in Romans 9, For I could wish that I myself were cursed from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen according to the flesh who are Israelites. Paul also acknowledged the suffering of the Gentiles, whom the Lord had called and delivered into his kingdom, and now joined with the saved remnant of the Jewish people. In Romans 8, 
He said, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Paul also recognized that Israel remains under God's judgment for the rebellion and continual rejection of Christ. The prophet Daniel declared in chapter 9, The end of it shall come with a flood. Until the end of the war, desolations are determined. And Yeshua wept over Jerusalem in Matthew 23, saying, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her, how often I wanted to gather your children together, as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. Israel remains under God's judgment. But how will all this unfold as we near the end of the age? Well, throughout history, God has used the Gentiles to bring his righteous indignation against Israel. And in turn, God has judged that nation that came against his people. Yeshua warned the Jewish people, saying in chapter 5, You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. In other words, if Israel did not repent and turn to their Messiah, God would turn Israel over to her Gentile enemies. Another form of God's judgment is anti-Semitism. Now, God does not hate the Jewish people, but he did warn them that they would be hated and persecuted in every nation where he scattered us. As we read in Leviticus 26, I will scatter you among the nations and draw out a sword after you. You shall have no power to stand before your enemies. You shall perish among the nations, and the land of your enemies shall eat you up. And those of you who are left shall waste away in their iniquity in your enemies' lands. In essence, God's hedge of protection is lifted or removed as long as we remain in exile and rebellion against Christ. According to data from the Anti-Defamation League, anti-Semitic incidents in the U.S. surged upward in 2014. By 2017, these incidents had increased by 86%. In 2019, the reported cases were even higher, and in 2020, anti-Semitic crime in the U.S. reached an all-record level. Given this trend, I only expect things to get worse for the Jewish people just as Jeremiah prophesied in chapter 16, he said, Afterward I will send for many hunters, and they shall hunt them from every mountain and every hill and out of the holes of the rocks. God's ultimate judgment against Israel will come like a flood. As Yeshua warned in Matthew 7, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, meaning whoever follows Yeshua, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock, the rock of Israel, Yeshua. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. 
We can compare these words of Yeshua in Matthew chapter 7 with the prophet Daniel, where he said, And in his place shall arise a vile person, the lawless one, to whom they will not give the honor of royalty, but he shall come in peaceably and seize the kingdom of Israel by intrigue. With the force of a flood, which is God's almighty judgment, they shall be swept away from before him and be broken, and also the prince of the covenant, the Antichrist. This sudden flood and subsequent falling away of God's people, Jew and Gentile, will occur at the end of the age in the time leading up to and during the tribulation. I believe that those who are counted worthy will escape all these things in the rapture, but I also think that many will not make it. The Antichrist will not only persecute Israel with merciless wrath during the Great Tribulation, but he will also overthrow many countries and bring great fury to destroy and annihilate many Gentile people as well. At the end, the Antichrist will come to his violent end and no one will help him, just as we read in Daniel 11, yet he shall come to his end and no one will help him. Therefore, in Revelation 12, we read, Rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them, woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you having great wrath, because he knows that he has a short time. It is essential to understand that preparation for any flood is required before it arrives. Because once it does, those who are not deeply rooted in their faith are at risk of being swept away. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, we read, For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them. His labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. While God always allows people to repent, the falling away is likely to occur precisely because of tribulation. In Luke 21, we read, And there will be signs in the sun, in the moon, and in the stars, and on the earth distress of nations, with perplexity the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them from the fear and the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And in Matthew 13, it says, For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. If we go back to our opening question, are we seeing the end? I believe the answer is yes. Once again, all scripture points to Christ, and all scripture revolves around God's dealing with Israel and the nations. We are presently seeing the world uniting against God and the Jewish people at an alarmingly fast rate. Even time itself feels like it is being compressed. Matthew 24, it says, And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. As Christians, with the maturity and understanding of God's word, we will also experience increasing persecution along with the Jewish people until the rapture. And this will happen because of our stand on scripture and our support and protection of the Jewish people. In Luke 12 and 21, it says, Watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. Because blessed are those servants whom the master, when he comes, will find watching. In Psalm 89, we read, For my mercy I will keep for him forever, and my covenant shall stand firm with him. 
아멘 If you have enjoyed this teaching from House of David Ministries, make sure you subscribe to our channel and don't forget to visit our website where you can sign up for our monthly newsletter. We pray the Lord richly bless you and we look forward to having you join us again for our next episode.